Yo, what is good? It's your boy Roy, and this is another episode of Sync Gems. Today is a long time coming. Um, very special guest has worked with the likes of Adele, Rihanna, Justin Timberlake, Weezer, Neil Diamond, Linkin Park, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and way, way, way more. He is Rick Rubin's mixing and recording engineer, Dana Nielsen. Now, I've just given you a brief bio, but this guy is just so interesting. And his learning mentality and mindset and curiosity just blew me out of the fucking water. I could not understand how a person on this caliber stays so humbled and so grounded. And we have almost an hour and a half of conversation of me just trying to figure out how he got in rooms with the names that he's gotten into. And he just, this interview is for everyone. And I'm saying it because it has so many values that can be converted to every field. We talk about entitlement versus hu- entitlement versus humbleness. We talk about how he was able in his own unique way to maneuver into the position that he's in. We talk about putting pressure, but also letting go. We talk about owning and being honest about not knowing things. We talk about bypassing entitlement. And in the last 30 minutes, we actually get into mixing and the technical stuff, which is a lot less technical than you would think. These professionals at this level have a very, very simple approach. And simplicity is a theme that keeps coming back for some reason. I think it's a good reason. Dana also has a course. So if y'all want to support him, go ahead and do that. I'll leave the... um, I'll leave the link in the show notes. I don't have an affiliation with the course, but I'm pretty sure that this course would be as amazing as Dana portrays himself to be because he's a legend. Anyway, if y'all want to support this podcast, please go ahead. If you're on Spotify, give it a five-star rating. If you are on Apple and you give an amazing review, with your hashtag, I will personally choose a few people every month that I will take on for a free session in which I can listen to your music. I can help you kind of direct yourself and maneuver through this sync realm. So please leave that review. And without further ado, Dana Nielsen. What is happening, Roy? Great to uh, be here with you. Finally, finally, yeah. I've been I've been wanting to have you for so so long, and I Aww. and I have I have like a childlike smile right now because I'm really really <laughs> excited. I, I'm telling you, like we've been talking for what twenty minutes, and I'm still super excited about Aww, having you here. Lot, man. And 
And yeah, you you're you we were talking off off the off the air and I was starting to tell you that the way you move is kind of a testament to believing in 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 what you do and what you're doing and you've done things that are not short of insane if i start uh, naming the name dropping and stuff like that I'll, i've probably done that in the intro but it i just wanna you've done so many things right to get to where you are right now there's no there's no there have been like decisions there have been so many things i just want to know about your story uh where are you from how'd you grow up how'd you start with music and what brought you to where you are right now sure Yeah, I've always um, came from a musical family. My parents are musicians, um, not by like professionally um, these days, but like both, uh, you know, played music growing up, went to school for music. My, they played music through my childhood. We'd have jam sessions at the house and uh, lots of musical friends. And uh, I started piano at a real young age, uh, Suzuki piano, I think when I was five or something like that um which i think really helped along the way in terms of ear you know having having a having a good ear has been very helpful for me musically and and technically um suzuki is like a all bite by ear um i hope i'm not misrepresenting that um but it's it's less focus at least in the beginning on notation and and traditional theory Um, anyway, to speed ahead, you know, I grew up playing piano and then uh, saxophone. Uh, started that in the fourth grade. That became my main main thing all through college. Um, was a jazz major, performance major, uh, jazz studies at Loyola in New Orleans. Um, my wife went there as well. We uh, went to the same junior high and high school together outside of Chicago. And then went to college together, and uh, she too is a musician, an amazing singer, um, composer, uh, does a lot of session work. That's her main <clears throat> focus is like singing on albums, on films, a lot of like huge movies, uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, Thor, La La Land, you know, like lots of... Uh, Part of this like really amazing um, crew of very talented singers who can sight read a, a score, <laughs> you know, on like a, a scoring stage type of thing. Um, and then, yeah, so we've known each other forever, and we just celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary, but we've been together a lot longer than that. And uh, we have... Uh, An 11 year old daughter who's also very musical so it's very a uh, house of music over here we're just like a, a you know a couple of freelance musical uh gunslingers as we like to say you know just um a lot of networking a lot of uh spinning plates wearing a lot of different hats and um yeah we're very lucky we've got two We each have our own studios and uh, we both work from home a lot um, with, of course, the away stints, me for recording, her for, you know, singing, recording, singing. And um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm in like professionally, my goal in college was um, playing saxophone and I in college and taking 
electronic music and recording techniques, really fell in love with the studio, both the equipment as well as most importantly, the the place in the studio where you get to be helpful and involved with other people's music without having to be part of it or you know uh can i can i play saxophone solo on your country western song you know like um i have so many musical interests so many styles um again with thinking back to my folks and their record collection extremely diverse from you know super pop stuff of the day to super esoteric art music um and uh which i love you know all these different you know disparate genres and and vibes and so in the studio it really felt like oh i can be really a part of so many different styles of music and um by learning that trade of the engineering side um which i was also immediately fascinated by the blinking lights and the you know oscilloscopes and you know computers and consoles and um sound um and just the way that productions sound just became endlessly fascinating to me and that became a uh, a door an open door to be a part of a lot more broader a lot wider range of music than i would be as a saxophone player although i do still play i love playing saxophone i do session work and you know play on occasional records and you know lots of commercials and <laughs> stuff like that so um there's there's the spinning plates and the the multiple hats a bit for you um just constantly like oh yeah i can sing on this okay yeah no problem or oh yeah i can put together a horn chart that's cool okay i'll record this thing or you know um it's it's uh fun and discombobulating at times <laughs> just doing that freelance thing you know just working a lot of different projects and uh fortunately it's it's all in music and uh very fun it's amazing you know what like so many so many things have have come up to me when as you were speaking and one big thing is like how the journey that we go through, I say we because I feel like it's everyone, how it affects the later decisions we make. So, I mean, like learning jazz uh, in high school for me as well, it, do, mm. it doesn't mean that, I'm, uh, that, I'll, that I'll do jazz for the rest of my life. But for the rest of my life, I have the ear yeah. to listen for the same things. Totally right? true. So I feel like that's what actually it's it's um something that came as you were speaking that's what makes us unique right and how do you think how do you think that um your up the way that you uh, um grew up to the point till the point where you're you're quitting per se like you're quitting the the performance thing how how do you think that it um converted itself as you were going forward to uh to recording and 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 mixing and doing all these things how did it like what um, was your trademark that that brought you i mean man it, like let's let's just let's just say you're working with the guy that wrote this book right here that i'm that i'm that oh I'm, your name it's your my name bible my is, is that uh, the rick book yeah 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 
uh, the, the, the creative act. And yeah, and it's not here because you're here, by the way. It's here because it's here. <laughs> this is my this is my Bible, my creativity yeah. Bible. So it's awesome. You have done something right to get in the room with people like Adele, with people like all these people you were in with the room. I I, I don't even remember. I, I just remember seeing you also in Shangri La in the in the in the, yeah. in the documentary Showtime series. Yeah. Which is sick, mm -hmm. by the way. I recommend everybody yeah. checks it out. Um, but um, just like you need to be, uh, to have a certain unique ability in order to be trusted to be in the room with these people. Like mm -hmm. this is no joke. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, you've gotten to that level that people dream of being in. And I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of a few traits. Like, first of all, is humbleness. Like, you have to be humble, right, to be in these places. And you have to be a, a, a lifelong learner. You have to be passionate about what you're doing, which is a cliche, but a, cliches are true for a reason. But what do you think separated you from all the other people who wanted to be where you're at right now? Yeah. Well, I think those traits that you just mentioned are... Um, have have been very helpful, and uh, I feel like describe the way I feel pretty well. Like um, in terms of like just always wanting to learn new things and being really passionate about um, what you're doing. Um, and remind me to to mention a story when you, you earlier we were talking about the the shoe dog and and the the um, sales bit. I have a good sales story. Um, that, that ties into that. Uh, but, you know, uh, with regard to your question there, what maybe what um, separates or has helped, well, first of all, it's, it's a long-term networking, being helpful to others along the way, you know, for a long time, um, just the backstory of like finding my way into those situations. Um, a long time, I spent a long time early on, providing technical assistance. Uh, like I was a, a freelance um, technical consultant for a few different like high-end sales groups. These were early jobs um, in my early 20s um, in LA where, uh, you know, I, I wasn't awesome at sales. I guess I'll tell this, this sales story. Um, and getting to, I guess, in the flip side, remind me to tell you about uh, the my first some of my first experiences working at Rick's studio. Um, when I first moved, you know, out of college, uh, Carissa and I moved to LA, and um, it's you know impossible to come to a new huge city like LA and be like, I'm going to be a record producer. You know, mm -hmm. like where'd where you move I, from? By I the way, sorry up? to stop you. Yeah, where, where'd you move from? Oh, from, from New Orleans. Okay, we both, from, uh, we grew up uh, about an hour west of Chicago. And then we went to college in New Orleans at Loyola. And oh, then, wow. so right from graduation, we moved to LA. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I, but I did learn some incredible, great timing skills at Loyola. They had the, uh, just invested a ton in their studio, um, which was a pretty modest studios especially as far as like these days and like you know there's recording schools that have like state-of-the-art stuff um but what they did have in that you know modest studio was like all the latest cutting edge pro tools 
stuff. Uh, the like DigiDesign 24-bit 888s were like the hot new thing. And, and the, you know, there was like a three card TDM system and, um, it was all new to me. And I, I really cut my teeth on that. And I worked a ton on that and was a teacher assistant and had keys to the studio and was like living in there practically. I just loved it so much. Um, and those knowing that stuff, um, really was, uh, helpful in a timing way that I could have never predicted or planned. But um, when we arrived in LA, all that equipment was really very new. And the studios, the big film lots, the big producers and engineers were kind of making the move right in the early 2000s, uh, many of them from uh, say like Sony digital machines and um, D88s or um, ADATs or or tape or anything like that. So um, I found a, a cool niche uh, helping much better salespeople than myself on the back end of the sale where uh, I would be sort of their young technical guy who would go and spend time with these producers and engineers and um, composers and, and, put together their new, you know, $80,000 pro tool rig, you know, in front of them or offer post sales training and things like that. Um, and all, eventually, you know, I met a lot of incredible people that way. Um, and some of whom I am still very much in contact with and have, you know, created lifelong friendships with and working relationships with those relationships really took a lot of time and um and you have to be patient and helpful and and also um able to stick your neck out in in the most you know humble gracious way when those opportunities do arise you know where there's um something that you know you see you could get a foot in the door um and you've built a rapport with with somebody and i'm not saying built a rapport in a um, scheming type of way at all. Uh, but, you know, you, you make friends with people, uh, in, in business, you know, you meet people who would call me often for help, even outside the scope of our initial meeting as it were, you know, arranged by say Westlake audio or what's now called like guitar center pro, you know, um, used to be outside sales and I would help, um, a couple of really, amazing experienced uh salespeople who didn't even like work on the main floor in hollywood it was like a separate uh area uh offices for like these high-end um clients um and so then i'd stay in touch with those people they'd continue to call me <laughs> for like what do i do when you know this thing isn't working or uh you know my pro tools isn't seeing this interface or you know how do i whatever get to page 18 on this Yamaha digital mixer, whatever. And, um, and so I was always there day and night, you know, on my cell phone, like helping people through tricky situations. And, uh, and then eventually just being like, you know, Oh, by the way, you know, I, I hear you're doing this project and you're calling me from this studio and, you know, like, you know, I'm here, right? Like, I would love to help you. Like if you, if I could ever, be there. I'm there, you know, please, you know, so just kind of like 
putting putting a uh, planting that seed in someone's mind and and those seeds eventually uh you know sprouted and and those people uh started calling for different reasons and and offered me you know like well, let's see how you do you know I, i'm in a bind i don't know who else to call why don't you come for the afternoon and you'll really help me out and then you know then all you got to do is shine and, and do a great job and um sometimes shining means like not being so shiny <laughs> just being um you know calm and quiet and helpful only when needed and and that can really go a long way especially in the beginning um but yeah to circle back to your original question about what separates or how to make you know how to how to get in those rooms um when there are so many people who would who would love to be there um and this isn't the answer but it's an answer that um has always stuck with me when i first was uh, beginning to work with rick um at the time his production coordinator lindsay chase um i first couple of weeks being there um I remember talking with her in her office and, you know, and I was like, Lindsay, everybody, man, this is so cool. You know, like, th and this is when uh, Rick's studio was in his house in the Hollywood Hills. And it was this beautiful, uh, man, like old, old Hollywood, you know, awesome house, you know, and uh, I'll never forget it. So many memories there. And Lindsay's office was um, in this, you know, beautiful office or bedroom so like a room off the front entrance you know and i was like you know Lindsay, it's so cool here everybody is so nice you know there was this staff of incredibly cool fun welcoming smiling humble people i have chills like these i, I still love all these all these folks um i said Lindsay, everybody's so cool here and so nice and and she, her answer was quick and direct and came right off you know she was like yeah uh if they weren't they wouldn't be here you know and i was like of, of yeah of course i i guess that makes perfect sense <laughs> you know like to your point right you know just like there are so many people who would love to be just around that action and those sounds and those people and um there's so many talented people too who can do uh, great things in a studio or with their ears or whatever. But man, if you're not cool and fun to be around, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. You know, a lot of people would rather have somebody who's sweet to be around, <laughs> who has, uh, you know, moderate talent than somebody who's like a real super genius, but you know, you know, tricky. <laughs> yeah. Tricky, tricky is a gentle word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, what? Um, okay, so coming into the studio, I want to reverse a little bit. Like, I'm sure that there was like a little bit of of like hardship. Was there? Were there like moments where you were like, "Oh, maybe this is not gonna happen." Like, were there moments where you were like, "Maybe, maybe I'm not. Maybe this is not." my path or maybe I need to pivot or were they, were there moments like that? Every day. 
<laughs> and I mean, today, every day, you know, like, I think that that is just, you know, it's part of uh, the human psyche, or at least mine. And it's certainly part of any business owner or, you know, freelancer or entrepreneur. And that's really like what, what we all are as, um, you know, whatever your field in music or otherwise is, you know, um, we're, my wife and I, you know, we have a, a company, um, our, our, our company that is kind of the umbrella for all of our music stuff is called little people Inc. And, um, it's a business, you know, and we both have clients, uh, some of them overlap and are shared. Um, but it's all like, it's all day to day, week to week, month to month, you know, you're on a project that's amazing, maybe for months at a time. And then there's nothing for, you know, a few weeks or a few months. And you're like, I'm never going to work again, you know? Um, and, uh, so there's that constant, um, feeling like this is this is the last this is the last i'm i'm done i'm washed up you know or, or i never made it or or whatever um and uh i try to <clears throat> calm my nerves with that type of stuff all the time um you know just i i have this always this image of myself like i'll move back to chicago i'll i'll be a, a grocery bagger at the jewel asco and, you know, if that's all it comes down to and I'm back bagging groceries in the Chicagoland area, I'll at least have had some amazing stories, you know, like, I, like I always I'm, I'm like, well, we had a we had an epic run, you know, um, so I always try to like feel like, yeah, maybe maybe this will all close up and, you know, AI will take over and my job will be no more. And uh but but we had a good run, you know. So like I'm always telling myself, telling myself that. Um, I had something else I was going to share, just about uh, waiting out. You know, when you're like, I, I'm never going to work again. Uh, oh, I remember what it was. Um, this ties into you know making your way in, and it also has to do with. Um, Lindsay, who I mentioned earlier, um, I had first met her and Rick um, on a live Jayhawks project. Um, and this was one of my, my dear friend, John Hanlon, who is an amazing producer and mixer and engineer. Um, we've since worked together on lots of, um, he's Neil Young's co-producer and engineer for uh, mixer for many years. Um, and that's ultimately like how I have worked with Neil is through John. Um, and John is one of the first people I met in LA, um, long before we ever like worked together professionally decades before <laughs> practically. Um, and, but he had called me in a pinch. This was one of the most exciting phone calls I ever got. I was in my tiny little studio in Atwater Village. Uh, I was working on, um, you know, one of, one of those kind of tough sessions where it's, it's me and, and like an independent artist who's giving me a real hard time about something and grinding me on price. And, and uh, you know, when I'm already like working for peanuts and whatever. And I get this call from 
from John, who is one of the folks who I mentioned before, like had a, a great rapport with and would help, I would help him out of jams and, and constantly, you know, politely pester him for, you know, the, the opportunity to come assist. And anyway, he called me one day and he's like, he left me this message, this voicemail that was like, Dana, I'm in a real bind. Uh, I don't, I, if you can find it in your heart to come help me for just a couple of days uh, up at Rick's house. Like, I, I really don't know, you know, that something had happened. <clears throat> and one of uh, Rick's guys had a family emergency or something like that. And John, he's like, I, th I thought I could hack it on my own, but I, I really could use your, use your help. And I was elated. Um, and that was so, so, so fun. Uh, I think I worked for like four or five days or something up there with John. And um, Lindsay, when we were wrapping up, she, um, she said, do you, um, you know, can you give, let me have your number, you know, would you be interested or available to come by sometime to help catalog tapes? Um, there were all these reel to reel master tapes around um, like albums that I grew up with, you know, and, like right there, like I have chills. Just think, I remember coming in through the sort of garage entrance and there'd be this, you know, um, shelf that had like Johnny Cash and Red Hot Chili Peppers and like, you know, all these different like master two inch, you know, things. And uh, the originals. So I was like, yeah. What's that? The originals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, and, um, and there, there were more, you know, elsewhere, all, you know, all um, safely stored and organized and stuff. But she was like, we're, we're kind of going through these tapes and, you know, it would be nice to have, um, maybe have your help um, cataloging some of this stuff. And I was just like, oh my gosh, yes. Uh, I'll, I'll do anything, please. You know, that would be <laughs> remarkable. And um, so she said, okay, um, well, give me a call. You know, things are crazy right now, really busy. Uh, I don't have time to think about this, but... Um, give me a call in a couple of weeks. And I was like, okay. And I did that. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, Dana. Right, right, right. Um, right. John Hanlon. Yeah. Jayhawks. I'm, I'm, of course I remember you. Yeah. Listen, things are too busy right now. Give me a call um, in a couple of weeks. Okay. No problem. You know, I must've called every couple of weeks for at least a couple of months. <laughs> and um and it was always kind of the same. And then maybe I spaced it out a month later, but this had gone on for, for several months and always very sweet and everything. Um, but just very legitimately very busy. And, um, so I'd given up, you know, I thought like, well, I get the message, you know, uh, I don't want to be a, a pest, you know, and I let that, um, I let that go for, many months, probably three or four months, something like that. And then I happened to be talking to uh, an old friend um, who worked with Lindsay for a summer or something like that. And this was a college friend and we, we were chatting and um, I brought this story up, you know, the, what the story I'm telling you, you know, and I said, so I called and every couple of weeks and you know, it just, it never panned out, you know, she just always was very busy and, um, would ask me to call. And I just, I'm, I feel like I'm being a pest at this point. He was like, dude, you have to call back. Like, she's not trying to get rid of you. Like, she's just really busy. Like you, you gotta, you gotta call back, you know? And I was like, all right, you know? And so several months had gone by and I, I called back. 
it's like, Hey, Lindsay, this is Dana Nielsen. Um, I, you know, I was, I worked with John on the, the Jayhawk session and she was like, Oh oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Dana, how's it going? You know, I was like, it's great. You know, I I remember you were talking, you, do you still need some like tape cataloging or, or whatever you were, you know, she's like, Oh yeah, yeah. Forget about it. And you know, I'm, I'm, things are crazy right now. I was like, do you assistant engineer, you know? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Uh, and she's like, okay, great. Um, I'm just updating my list of assistants and second engineers and, um, I'll put you on it. I was like, amazing, you know? And, uh, and then I, I got a call from her like a couple days later. She was like, would you be available to um, second engineer for Greg Fiddleman on a new Neil Diamond album that we're about to start? And I was like, yes. Fuck yeah, I would. Yes. <clears throat> I mean, yes, of course. Yes, naturally. Mm-hmm. I'd be very happy to, I'll be there at, you know, nine o'clock sharp. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was freaking amazing. I, um, I, I'll never forget it. You know, I just started, um, once that started it, um, I was just constantly, um, in the mix on that stuff. Um, I don't mean mixing. I mean, like part of that amazing small crew of awesome, fun people, um, assisting Greg Fiddleman and Andrew Sheps and Dave Schiffman and, um, just learning, learning my ass off. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was incredible. And, um, just then moving up into being set of assistant engineer and being editor and then got some like mixing, uh, mixed, uh, a artist cut version of that very Neil Diamond album, uh, a year or two later. Um, and then lead engineering and more mixing and, Kind of up and down and all around and <laughs> a lot of uh vocal comping and editing along the way and um and yeah each of those little breaks was always like overhearing a little opportunity where somebody couldn't make it or um you know and being like i let me i can do that can i can i please do that i'll i promise you know i know how i know how to do it or i'll, I'll learn fast or you know um yeah, just always trying to let people know in the in the most polite, non-obtrusive way possible. Like, I'd love to do that—that that thing that I hear you talking about. You know, um, yeah. Dana, how how do you bypass entitlement? Bypass. What do you mean? Wait, for, say that again. What do you mean? How do you bypass the? You know the 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 um, the facts the facts are you've been with these greats in the studio and i can see in your eyes you're still a child like you still have <laughs> you still have that childlike curiosity um about and and i think that's what attracted me to you and and let's let's just put the story out here like for me i <laughs> i uh, i'm going to share it with all my listeners right now i missed on two twice the call with you like I missed on it and this was the call that I was looking for the the most from all my interviews like I can say it by far um 
and I missed twice. And I was like, okay, there's no reason this dude is giving me a, a, another chance, but I'll just like, I'll keep, I'll keep putting gentle pressure. So I, I send you an email once in a while and then I do this and I do that and then I do this. And it, it, it kind of reminds me of the, the, um, the, the story that you were talking with Lindsay, where, mm-hmm. where, uh, um, where in the end it, it panned out way better than you have ever imagined. But yeah. I mean, you're getting in the studio now again with people like with 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 the greats, like um, and how do you bypass that uh, um natural uh, that natural human desire to be on top or to feel like like you are someone? It it feels mm-hmm. like you have zero of that. Like in 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 every word you're saying, I cannot hear a single hint of entitlement how do you bypass that um i think um you know it's it's a good question i I don't really know exactly how to answer um other than it's i i think what you're describing is just something that i feel um I, I do get fired up and and I guess childlike about you know music and and people and um, you know it's it's humbling to be around incredible musicians and um, especially you know as a musician uh, it's it's really incredible the, the, some of the performances that I get to witness, you know, in these small rooms, you know, I'm constantly pinching myself, just like, what is happening right now? You know? Um, and so that can be very like place putting or, <laughs> or humbling, you know, just being around um, people who are, who have done so much. Um, whether that's, you know, an artist in the studio or, or Rick for that matter, you know? Um, and I think also um, seeing that exemplified too by even Rick is, is incredibly refreshing. And, um, you know, he, that, that example has not been um, understated or, or what, I'm not sure how I should say it. Like, it 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 doesn't <laughs> it's huge is what i'm trying to say seeing somebody um like him uh and the way that he um gently and, and humbly works with artists big and small um is a really beautiful thing that's um been an amazing example in my life uh professionally and personally um you know like I was just talking the other day with with somebody about like I love this uh this thing I've I've seen with Rick where maybe we're all listening to a song in the studio and you know it's hard to to play something for someone like him uh or any musician of you know certain age and caliber in the studio that they don't ever that they don't know the song you know or whatever like oh so th- you know there'll be moments when maybe the artist wants to play a song or reference a song and, and I'll be like, Oh my gosh, that song is so good. You know, I know the song you're talking about. Let's put it on. Let's put it on. 
and, uh, you know, we'll play a song and, uh, and the artist will be like, Rick, you've never heard this song, you know? Uh, and where, like, I feel like I would fall into an easy trap of feeling like, uh, inside being like, I should totally know this song. Like, I feel bad that I don't know this song. Like, oh, I think I've heard it. Uh, um, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know this song, <laughs> you know, whereas like um, Rick in this wonderful, uh, honest way will, will just be like, no, I don't know this song. Like, and even though everybody else in, in our human way will be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you don't know this song. You know, like he just owns it, you know, and and I think that's great, you know, to to be honest and open um about what you don't know you know or like what's a new experience to you that maybe is old to somebody else or as a song that they've grown up with or you know that culturally we take for granted as like everybody knows this episode of Seinfeld you know like I, I haven't seen that one I don't know you know um so I, yeah I I like stuff like that um the the courage to be comfortable in your own skin and your own experience of the arts, especially to be like, no, I don't know that famous piece of work that you're talking about, but I'd love to hear it. And like, Oh, I see why everybody loves this. It's beautiful. <laughs> you know, like I can't wait to listen to it again. Um, I think that's just a, a uh, healthy and refreshing way to way to be. Mm. Wow. I, I'm, I'm getting the chills from, from this because again, like I, I'm, it's something I'm definitely grappling with the, the mm -hmm. need to know things, the need to feel like I am of value. And if not, it's like, I think it's also like an ancestral, uh, it's an ancestral mechanism in the brain where if I'm, mm -hmm. if I don't know something or if I'm not, uh, um, prepared for the piece of information that is coming my way, maybe the tribe will, you know, will, will ban me or whatnot. And, and the ability to bypass that and be able to, to say, no, I, I actually don't, but please, please let me hear that. I would love, yeah. I would love to watch that Seinfeld, uh, actually, instead yeah. of going, oh yeah, that one. Yeah. I remember. And, and, and coming out of it, exactly as 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 dumb as you came into it you know <laughs> like it's like true. so I, I mean that's that's a huge superpower i feel like you've 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 tapped into and there's a lot of stoicism in in your in your uh in your mental state in my opinion because and to those who don't know stoicism is a philosophy uh by the greeks and the romans that is basically um very uh conserved and humble I would describe it. I would I would go go read read uh, Ryan Holiday's stuff and Meditations by by Marcus Aurelius and all these kinds of amazing books. Um, but also, uh, um, Stoicism is a way of of looking at things. Um, where was I going with this? Where where it's it's the, the 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 ability to to observe obstacles as obstacles. And you were speaking like, I don't know, 30 minutes ago, you were saying that every day you have the thought of, of, of quitting or going back or saying I had a hell of a run or AI being like uh, uh, the end all be all or whatnot. But the ability to say tomorrow, I may not have a job tomorrow. I may be in a completely different place. The ability to say these things without attaching 
uh, and that attaches to Buddhism as well. But it's it's just the ability to say these things and to to know that today, if I don't create music today, I'm not an artist today. Uh, like for them, as 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 we're speaking about, like there's an amazing interview with Tim Ferriss and uh, Derek Sivers. Uh, mm. who uh, the the founder of uh, CD Baby who sold it for 20 million and contri- and uh, donated the money um and uh super interesting where he speaks to i mean uh, uh are you uh, a rapper or uh, um and and then if you say yes then what do you do to enforce it because if you wrote your last rap um 2 months ago then you're not a rapper sorry like you may have been a rapper <laughs> 2 months ago but are you a rapper today? Uh, I don't think so. Like I, I would say not because every day you do something to enforce your identity. Um, and, and I love that observation of, you know, like any day I can be done. Like this is, this is to me the key of keeping a fire, a healthy fire going. And, and I really hear it and see it in what you're saying. And that's why I'm, I'm really so excited to, to, to be talking about this this kind of thing with you. Are, 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 and I know that you've gotten into like the sync space uh, lately. Um, and I would love to hear your, your take about you because you're listening to so much music um, and you're also giving consultations, which I'm, I'm, I'm probably t- going to take you on it for that soon because I'm, I have friends who actually, I have a friend who already contacted you, but I have way more coming. And, oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I would love to see like, what are, are there things that you see people consist- constantly doing uh, um, that are kind of, I wouldn't say pay- pet peeves, but you see that they can do better on their trajectory to becoming better in in mixing and also in being an artist because you have all these tools that you've accumulated. It's it's a very jam-packed question. I can I can break it down for you, but just let let me know if it's You know, one of the things one of the things that I see and love to dispel or dissuade folks from falling into is um things that are too complicated. Like I'm, I'm always trying to simplify, um, the work. Um, not, I guess the process too, but what I meant initially by the work was the song, like the music at hand, um, and the process of mixing it or, or producing it. Um, so sometimes when I'll, uh, work with a one-on-one client who's, um, you know, trying to mix better or something like that. And and I'll take a look at their, uh, sessions. It's, it's pretty common that sometimes, you know, they, they've been on forums and they've watched videos and they're doing amazing diligence, like trying to learn. Um, and, and things will look so overdone or overcomplicated or, um, you know, I've learned about parallel compression. And so I've got all these different, you know, compressor chains and, you know, all those compressors also have mix knobs and they're, it's, you know, and they're, they're set to 50% or whatever. Like there's, I'm, I'm typically when, when I'm working with somebody like that, um, I'm usually like, let's break this down to the 
fewest parts, you know, like don't worry about any of this parallel stuff. Don't worry about any master fader stuff. Like how do you make a compelling mix with the fewest components possible? You know, that's a real uh, thread um, that really I've, I've learned from Rick and just is, is so good um, because it really makes you focus on what holds the song together and save anything else uh, for, for later, you know, to help build the arrangement when needed. Um, and I think the same applies to mixing, you know, um, getting a good foundation with the fewest ingredients is the way I start every mix. And, um, well, I might have a, you know, some helpful track presets that I've built or templates that have all kinds of fancy routing and, and, you know, effects chains and things like that, that I'll go to, uh, often none of that stuff is, is turned on and, uh, it's just there for a quick use. You know what I mean? Um, so it's a lot of fun to both identify that in a student who is making things way too complicated because it's it's fun to tell somebody like, oh my gosh, you, you can go about this so much easier. You know, let me show you, like, let's get rid of all of this stuff <laughs> and because it's not helping. Or I can show you how to use like one of these things and get way more out of it than you were, you know, um, and that's going to be not only, you know, healthier for your CPU if you're worried about that type of thing, but it's also going to be easier to keep track of in your head. And once you start mixing for other people, like I'll tell people all the time, whether they're a producer or a mixer or a songwriter, you know, you can use whatever software you want, have whatever method to your madness that you like. You know, if you want to record, you know, uh, in FL Studio and print auto-tune through your, all your stuff and put, uh, you know, ozone on every track, go for it. And I'm sure the end result will sound awesome. Like I'm not knocking any of those products or, or things, but I'm distinguishing that the idea that like, if you're mixing for another artist, you, it's a different thing. Like you have to be able to take notes and know how to make subtle changes to each of those tools to get the desired outcome for the client. And so that's where this sort of session management and having a streamlined system, knowing what each of your effects chains is doing and how to manipulate it to get the result that you want. And then later on to, to adjust per the client's request and stuff like that. Um, so a lot of my work, whether it's for my own projects that I'm writing or for someone else's project that comes to me as a mixer, um, after the creative part is done and the mess is made and i say mess lovingly i'm not um you know making fun of any of that like it's the best way to create just do like i don't follow any of these rules when i'm creating stuff i'll make a mess like i definitely name tracks like let's let's call that a baseline <laughs> i don't like any audio ones in in my sessions but um 
you know, that's time to make a mess. But when it comes to mixing, especially if you're mixing for other people, uh, I find it really fun and mind clearing um, to, to clear everything out and start with the basics and hide a bunch of, you know, make an act of anything that's unnecessary, certainly mute and pull down faders on, on things and sort of discover the bare essentials. So to circle back and give the shorter version, I think one thing that I see a lot of is, um, people who've, you know, read too many, uh, blogs and, and think it needs to be a lot more complicated mm. than it, than it needs to be. A hundred percent, man. I've, um, before seeing you on Pensado, I've, I've watched mm. all his stuff. And uh, just, I, I feel like, again, the technical things that he speaks to and that he did for, uh, for Michael Jackson or, uh, or Beyonce or whoever he worked with, um, uh, um, it's, it's relevant to that specific project. So I feel like taking everything with a grain of salt, I love, like, as you were speaking, I, would think, I was thinking about all the comparisons between which software uh, is the printing better. Like people print from Ableton and then FL and then Pro Tools. And then they go, in Pro Tools, it sounds like this, but in Ableton, it sounds like this. And all it sounds to me is like, a bit of a maniac kid, which is <laughs> trying to figure out everything and, and, and the in and out, uh, in and outer works of everything. But that has to be separated from creativity because creativity is a completely different thing. And you know what? I actually fuck with it. If you are changing between softwares for to rejuvenate, rejuvenate your perspective, because sure. let's say like, if I take my, um, uh, um, project on Ableton and I mix it with Logic, it makes a lot of sense because the the outlook is different. And then mm -hmm. the whole holistic approach of of tweaking the knobs is, is different. So I, I really appreciate that. But then like taking all the nitty gritty and going into, oh, but if I did ozone and then i m parallel compressed it with the the version from lander and then i go in and then send one version to dana and put it low in the stereo then i mean like it, it's it's just all these these things are can for sure take away from the create from the creative act yeah they can be uh traps of the mind the creative and, trap it should be yeah. in rick's next book <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, and I love uh, dispelling that stuff and, um, you know, to each their own. But um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't buy into the different softwares sound, you know, the ones and zeros sound different over here than over there or whatever. Um, even if that is a provable case, um, it doesn't matter because you're you're using your ears to and the tool that you're using to achieve the result that's in your head so it doesn't matter you know like if hypothetically if pro tools is darker than cubase well if i'm mixing in pro tools then i'm i'm just gonna make it brighter <laughs> like or i'm gonna turn the knobs differently to because i have a thing in my head that i want it to sound like so and that's that's kind of it ties back to the you know the age-old like all oh, these plugins aren't as good as the hardware it's not identical to the setting that i do on the hardware to me i'm like 
man, I don't care. Like, it's still fun to play with and it still gets a result that I like, you know, like, I don't care that, you know, the input output knobs on this 1176 plugin don't make it sound exactly like that. It doesn't matter, you know, like, is it compressing it? Uh Uh-huh. Does it sound cool? Uh Uh-huh. Does it get to the end result? Yep. You know, like, it's kind of a moot point to me, um, all that stuff, you know, because it's really just what you're what you're hearing in your mind as the the end goal and whatever you have to do to get it there, you know, is is fair game, you know. A hundred percent. And and how so that exactly ties me to what you've been doing. You've been putting your your knowledge out there for people to 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 consume and for people who who can't really take one-on-ones with you, which makes sense. Fair enough. Like, I mean, it's, that's why also a lot of people listen to this podcast as opposed to coming for my coach, coaching or consulting because I'm, I'm not cheap. And then, uh, uh, um, and I feel like you've put out the information. I haven't done it yet, but I feel like you're, you're way, way more qualified to, 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 to speak about it than me. Um, then what is, uh, what, what, what is, what is going on in these courses that you've just just put out because i'm i'm i still haven't uh, pu- uh pulled the trigger and i'm 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 considering it myself so <laughs> oh that's that's awesome man um yeah there's um a couple of things i've been working on um the one like recent one was with studio.com and it's called natural vocal production and it's like it's 11 and a half hours long <laughs> and it's it's me uh taking six raw passes of my friend Josh Dell's uh vocal and guitar at the same time <clears throat> and showing you how i comp and tune and um mix and master and and basically like it doesn't cover the recording part like i had him do that you know um and and he was like you know should we do do you want me to record the vocals separately and i'm like no way do you want me to like should i do it to a click and i was like no way you know like give me the the most difficult task that um that i often deal with you know um and well it did make for like a longer process and a longer course for that reason um the reason i wanted to do it that way is like if you can tackle those obstacles um then doing stuff when it's isolated into a click is like a piece of cake you know um so it's a real i basically set up like a real world difficult situation Because, you know, it's like if if I'm working with, you know, Neil Young or Bob Dylan or uh, or the Avid Brothers or anybody for that matter who plays and sings at the same time, whether it's guitar or piano uh, or or a full band, you know, that is in the same room and there's bleed and stuff like that. Um, it's not it's not my my place to tell them like, no, we need to isolate everybody and, um, you know, get everything to a click. Well, we might eventually decide that that might yield the result that everybody agrees is going to be best. It's never the place to start. And more often than not, 
having the artist feel most comfortable playing and singing the song the way it came to them initially. Uh, presumably that wasn't uh, with a click in an ISO booth listening back to the guitar. Although, of course, there are millions of incredible songs written that way. But what I find especially difficult as a, an editor, uh, engineer, producer, you know, is when somebody is like, no, 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 just go out in that room and be, do your thing, you know, um, let, let there be bleed. Uh, each pass is going to be slightly different tempo, or maybe they speed up and slow down because you're following the muse of that song. You're like, the choruses pick up a little bit and then there's this bridge that slows down a little bit. And like, I don't want to strap you to a, a click for that. Certainly not yet, you know? So, um, that's what that course covers. And, uh, there's like uh, a Melodyne section. There's, uh, how to pick takes. Um, and I mentioned in the, the trailer that picking takes is essential. And, uh, it's sometimes easier when maybe the singer isn't that great. And you're like, well, this is the, this is definitely the best one right here. Um, but what I try to cover, uh, and the reason I chose Josh Dell for this, um, is like when you have an awesome singer who's got a great voice and all the options are good, <laughs> why do you pick which one's the best, you know? And I think that's a, a really fun challenge. Um, and I've, I've been lucky to be in that position a lot, you know, like Dana here's like, you know, eight passes of Adele, you know, like put a comp together. It's like, well, these are all freaking awesome. <laughs> um, and so like just learning how to um, identify what sounds like a record, what is the most uh, engaging, you know, pull at your heart, make your, you know, hair stand on end sort of performance stuff. Um Sometimes it's not even the best in tune, you know, it's like you, and that's why we use tools like Melodyne um, at times, uh, not because somebody can't sing, uh, but because at times there are takes that just have all of the most gut-wrenching emotion that are just, per, you know, perfect, except the tuning got a little funny at the end or something like that, you know, but man, you have to, this is the one because it's, it's the best long note that they held in this chorus here. It's just got all the gristle and soul that you could ever ask for, you know, and the other ones are more in tune and they're technically perfect. But this one, this weird, you know, hairy little stepchild of a long note in the you know what like that's the that's the one you know so like we just need to shine up the little uh you know the little riff at the end you know or whatever um so yeah it's really about like uh listening for listening for the good stuff and and being confident in your choices you know um yeah so it's cool there's a, a lot of comping a lot of tuning and then of course when you're working with bleed tuning things becomes a real challenge because you tune the vocal, but the bleed that's in the guitar is not, um, tuned. And so they, you can hear it. So I kind of cover a lot of the, uh, 
um, you know, tricky editing tricks that I'll, I'll call on all the time just to make stuff work. Um, and then there's, uh, mixing and, you know, a little bit of like basic, uh, mastering, just this sort of faux mastering stuff that I do for, for all my mixes. So it's been cool. It's been a really great experience working with studio. And that's a platform that I, uh, Carissa and I both have spent a lot of time on over the years. They've got incredible courses and we've taken, bought and taken a ton of them over the years. Um, Char- uh, Charlie Puth and Lewis Bell and Ryan Tedder and, um, uh, Andrew Wong. And like, we, we've been part of all these different classes back when they were called monthly. And, uh, so they reached out to a handful of, you know, past and current, um, students that are, uh, you know, working professionals and, um, it's been really cool and they're, they're a great, uh, team. So yeah, I have that. And I also have been, uh, building a whole course on my own, uh, different courses on my own site. Um, that isn't yet um, open to the public. Um, that's called mixprotege.com. And that is a space that I'm using um, to train my assistants um, in the ways that I set up um, my sessions for mixing and uh, more tuning and basically like um, turning my one-on-one in-person training that I've done many times over the years uh, onto video so that um, it's time consuming, you know, and then when, when somebody's still learning it and they don't have uh, something right here or there, um, instead of spending time again in person, I can reference different uh, videos and stuff like that. But that's, um, I'm working on um, several like assistants and beta testers uh, in there now but eventually it's going to uh have that course and others uh for sale um and and all kinds of free um you know mixing tips and you know blogs and stuff like that just kind of start collecting my so that way my main site dananielson.com will be really geared more toward um artists and managers and AR and stuff who want to book me to do projects for them and mix protege will be uh, more for um, interacting with and teaching um, folks that I'm working with or folks who want to learn from me and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm hell excited. Yeah. Hell it's yeah. Coming along. It is exciting. And I feel like maybe when I'm in LA, but um, I'm uh, we shall circle back when once the prodigy.com uh, comes out and we can we can uh, kind of rabbit hole that for people if you're interested oh, and, uh, yeah, and uh, that would be so much fun uh, before we we uh, we part I want to ask like um, is there one small like chunk of wisdom that you can um, shed on people mixing for themselves? as opposed to mixing for others? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like I said before, you know, it's the, 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 there are far fewer rules. I mean, there's never rules, but, you know, if you're mixing for yourself and your own artist project, you can really, you know, really do whatever you want. 
um and uh, you know answer to no one <laughs> other than the uh spotify gods or whatever the year and and goal is um but uh i'm trying to think what else for someone mixing on their own um for themselves um i mean it's important to have a space that you know like you know speakers that you are accustomed to headphones that you're accustomed to um and i i guess i mean it's hard to parse out like what what info would be better for somebody who is mixing on their uh, for themselves as opposed to for others because i i feel like they're the same for me <laughs> at least um you know i certainly mix a lot of my own stuff as well as for other folks and i i'm I'm always coming from the same place um and shooting for the same goal and it's much like we talked about before just simplifying um make all the mess in the world while you're creating something and uh and then when you're ready to to mix it and i know that mixing and creating will dovetail uh especially when you're it's your project you know um when I'm mixing for somebody else, they've typically made the decision that the the recording is done and we're gonna now pass it over to Dana. Um, but there definitely is in the in the case of uh, well, maybe you're writing, you're co-writing with somebody and you need a mix for the end of the night. You know, it's like there's always this moment where, okay, let's have a little, you know, coffee break. And I'm going to come back in here, kind of pull faders down and and do a, a quick, simplified thing. Um, so yeah, I usually, um, even if I'm in make, making a temporary work in progress mix, I'm usually um, keeping it real simple and building it up really quickly. That is why having like faders helps. I, I definitely am an advocate uh for that uh you don't have to be as like you know fancy or as multiple faders as i have here but some type of uh, if it can be eight that's amazing if it's just one that's helpful too but but some way to feel the music in a tactile way i'm i'm more than happy to be completely in the box these days for the past many years, but I don't think I could do it uh, as effectively or certainly not as fun or as connected physically to the music as as I do when I have faders. Um, even just like just that, I'll have all my tracks coming out to some submasters. It could be a, like a 120 track session, but I've got it all submastered down to, you know, 16 faders, let's say. And so it's really great to be able to just throw all those submasters into like a trim mode or something, pull them all down and just really quickly, oh, there's my kick, there's my snare, there's my overheads, there's the bass. Let me, let me give myself tons of headroom, crank the speakers. I'm nowhere near hitting reds, you know, but I'm feeling everything, you know, I'm building a balance and I can bring in the guitars and um, having that ability to quickly just like, physically pull everything down and throw the faders up again and 
especially if you just do it real fast like that and just run with your your gut and your ears um it's um it's very helpful um another trick that i do and depend on is a side set of tiny little speakers um not in the sweet spot i like to i have this set of realistic radio shack speakers like off to the side and they're pushed together um i mentioned i talk about this in the course as well like those are i do a lot of mixing on those speakers um because it gets me out of the sweet spot i stop thinking about is the bottom awesome is the top awesome is the stereo spread great you know like it's all this sort of you know mid-range only does the song still rock like if you can you know or maybe it's not rock maybe it's hip-hop you know and you can if you can turn it up and hear those 808s coming through and it sounds like it's banging on those those little things um usually what happens then is i switch it back over to the the big speakers and there's way too much low end because i've cranked the 808 so much or um or the bass guitar to get the bass to speak over there i've i've added you know some harmonic saturation and i've turned it way up but i trust that because that's how it's going to sound on tv uh and you know in the car across the hall from another so having that reference is super important because then when i switch it back over to here and i'm like geez that bass is like so much that i know like oh it's not i just need to carve off the parts that i wasn't hearing over there so that the power and impact of that bass instrument is still just as heard and felt you know um so just having different points of reference you know um to check things out is is really helpful i mean these are all basic things but (laughs) no basic is the best i mean having having shit boxes is uh is is I mean, it's just the best. It's the best. Like having yeah. as much shitty things to listen to as opposed to like these big ATCs or whatever you have back yeah. there. You know, like it's, it's uh, um, these are nice. Like I, I feel like I got new monitors uh, and, and I haven't listened to music in my space in this amazing way. But people are not really going to listen to it in this amazing way. Mm-hmm. Like usually yep. they're going to listen from shit boxes if, we, yeah, if yeah. we're being completely frank uh, totally. about it. And, and actually like even, even my Mac now is not a shit box anymore because it has such good speakers. <laughs> I know. Um, like my MacBook. I'm continually so. like blown away. Uh, by like yeah the the low end <laughs> what's that the low end in my 14 inch it's like crazy it's uh, the, the 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 sub comes out better than in my speaker sometimes you know like it's it's really it's really tricky and i think you're you're touching on a point where you know if you're if a track can sound amazing through like a a, um, a floating JBL or whatever the 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 right. whatever the hell they have right now the smallest things if it can bang through that if it, if it can make you uh, uh, knock like if it if it knocks if it slaps through that then then you're doing something right for sure and um, and yeah that's it's 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 the whole conversation is is coming to that you know like being able to 
continuously learn yourself into new things and and having having rules to break like yeah you can have this vocal template but you're you're eventually you eventually uh, uh, that vocal chain is for you to be able to work within so mm-hmm. uh, creating like little constructs so you can actually break the rules in these constructs is something mm-hmm. that is so huge for me and and the things that you were speaking to are are just like simple but priceless this this interview is priceless for people and for me as well because uh, um uh, mixing is definitely one of my my areas that I want to get better at and I'm sure that other people too yeah. um so yeah man I'm loving it is there any last piece of advice you want to give any anyone who's listening to to this podcast they they it's usually composers in sync and in TV that want to kind of make it their their thing like what's what's your what's what what would be a final piece of advice to these people yeah i would say you know continuing on the mix tip uh i hear a lot of people say that you know i like the way my stuff comes out but i don't know what i'm doing you know like uh and my answer is always like you're doing it then <laughs> you know like you don't have to know all this technical stuff, you know, if you're getting the result, you know, but yeah, but I don't really know how a compressor works. Who cares? (laughs) If you like how it sounds like you're, you're doing it, you know, that's literally like all I'm doing. I'm doing the same thing, you know, like I'm just moving things around until I think it sounds right. And, um, I might be able to like speak the language a little easier if I'm talking with another engineer person about certain frequencies or you know the the knee on this compressor versus that compressor or whatever but like i don't really care about any of that stuff it helps it's language that's helpful to articulate things just like music theory is um a very useful language of music but it's not music you know like so if what you're making feels right and sounds right to your ears, that's all you need to know, you know? And it's literally all each of us is doing is playing around with knobs and faders to achieve that magical thing that's in our heads. <laughs> so don't be, uh, don't be ashamed about not knowing, you know? Just keep, keep learning, keep rolling with it. And if anything seems too complicated, it probably is. <laughs> mm, yes. Yes. Wow. Um, by the way, I'm 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 gonna look into things with faders because I've I, I connected so so hard with what you were talking about, like feeling the music and having faders to as opposed to to um as opposed to scrolling can be yeah. so um can so can be so eye opening in my opinion because a lot of the times all all a track needs is just some gain staging and. Uh, and being able to hear things in a way that's not in front of the screen. So yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna look into that and um, and the, just the relationship because you know yeah. I've mixed, uh, yeah, I've I've mixed uh, like number one Billboard albums with just a mouse, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's it's so much more fun and easy uh, when you can use multiple digits <laughs> mm. because 
music doesn't happen on on one fader you know it's all an interplay and so just like you know the to, to be able to ride a vocal while you've got your other hand on you know the bass or even you're you're mashing things around subtly as it goes you know like it's a react everything is reacting to everything else and so um it's just quicker it's more fun and you you feel it um you're connected to it in a physical way that is really meaningful 100 percent, man thank you so much for coming yeah, on Dana. I'm you, so Roy. I'm still I'm still in this initial excitement and I'm I'm I just want to commend you for coming on and I'm so happy we got to do this and Me too. Uh, and yeah, Me too. And, and yeah thank you so much for having me yeah 